I would just say there's one misperception of our veterans, and that is they are somehow damaged goods. Although if we tell our veterans enough that this is what's wrong with them, they may actually start believing it. Welcome to episode one of the Dead Reckoning Collective podcast. This week we have Johnny Grifter Petticord, former OAF writer, recon marine, private military contractor, and pre-law student. Hey, brother. How's it going? It's good, man. How are you? Good, good. Uh, thanks for joining us. So uh, we'll start out just a quick little bio for you and uh, let us know what you're doing right now. Sure. Um I am a full-time student now. I'm, a, I'm finishing up my last semester of undergrad here in the next month, uh, taking the summer off and starting law school at St. Louis University School of Law in August. Um, as far as like why I'm here or uh, why I've received kind of praise or whatever, um, I used to write for a publication called OFNation.com. Uh, it, was, it started out as Operator as Fuck on, on Facebook. And it was essentially just a, uh, a, a military parody page. And then it kind of evolved into a, a content site. So, uh, yeah, I started writing for them. I wrote for them for about four years. And I t- took a break. And uh, now I'm writing for Recon Sniper Foundation, which is a 501c3 that uh, raises funds for dudes who aren't doing so hot. Awesome. So uh, just give us a little bit of uh, info about your, uh, your military background. Uh, and then we'll kind of talk about transition and stuff after that. Sure, man. Sure. I, uh, I joined the Marines in uh, 2002, right after I graduated high school. Um, uh, I became a machine gunner and I got stationed out at, uh, at Hawaii with 1st Battalion, 3rd Marines. I served out there from 2002, 2006. Uh, did two deployments while I was in. One was a UDP deployment and my second deployment was to Iraq. And uh, I was in Operation Phantom Fury, uh, which was fucking awful. Yep. Um, so I got out naturally because I didn't want to have any more to do with that. Uh, I got out in 2006, went right back in to the reserves. I went to a fourth recon battalion and became a reconnaissance Marine. And I stayed with them for the next four years. Uh, while I was doing the reserve thing, I was also a paramedic and a firefighter equally as awful as, as Phantom Fury. Uh, as, as far as being a paramedic, I, I apparently didn't have enough trauma in my life. So figured I figured I'd go yeah. get yeah. Uh, people out of, uh, car accidents and you know that kind of shit yeah just right on, fire hose yeah and then uh <laughs> so, so I, I quit doing that and i started working for the u.s government uh, as a contractor i did that for four years and yeah i came home to start writing full-time for for oaf nation so wait where were you uh, a paramedic and firefighter at uh here in st louis i was a firefighter with northwest st Clair county fire department and then i was a paramedic with a private ambulance service called uh abbott ems and uh yeah, it was it was great for the. I did that for about six years. Right on, um, man. I'm I'm going through paramedic school right now. Tough, isn't it? Uh yeah. It's a it's a kick in the dick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I I I contend that I would rather do boot camp and BRC all over again than do paramedic school. Like I had no days <laughs> off for a year. No, it's pretty much what it is. Uh, Monday through Thursday from like seven till five, sure. and then clinicals on the weekends. Yep. Studying between time. that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice the, the education and everything, but sure, uh, man, it's busy. If coming from shift life to school again, it, it's it's kind of rough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right on. For sure. So in terms of in terms of transition, you have two under your belt. Kinda. Um, sorta. It, yeah, it was kind of a well. Yeah, I, I guess you could say that. 
I got out of the military in 2006. Like I got off active duty and I was 22 at the time. Um, and I think I went through what a lot of guys did. I kind of just couldn't find my ass with both hands. I mean, I had a plan initially. I was going to get out and go to school and become so, a firefighter. And that was it. But like starting out as when I, I, I was a corporal, when I first got out and I was a squad leader, I was in charge of 12 guys. You know, I had led guys in combat and I got out and I was a student. You know, I was being mm-hmm. told what to do by teachers and administrators. And uh, then I became a firefighter and I was a pro B firefighter. So I was at the bottom of the food chain there. So it was, just, it was hard. You know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of guys get out and they think like, oh, well, you know, I, I led guys into combat. Therefore, I can lead guys in the civilian sector. And I think that's a huge misconception. So and you did, said that you, uh, you joined back in 2002 and right after high school. Where you, did you join kind of in spirit of, uh, of 9-11? September, yeah. Uh, no, man. Uh, to be honest, uh, my dad was a Marine. So okay. like, ever since I was nine years old, that's, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I was going to join the X-Men, but they weren't hiring at the time. Uh, <laughs> so I decided to, to join the Marines. Or, and, or you weren't that gifted, one of the no, two. No, I was not that gifted. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, um, yeah, I, uh, I enlisted on my 17th birthday, which was in 2001. Oh, right on. And, yeah, and so I was in the delay program for like mm, 13 months, something like that. And... Yeah, three day, two days after my, my 18th birthday, 9-11 happened. And mm. uh, one, of, one of the stories that I was telling an uh, 18-year-old kid who reached out to me on Instagram last night that uh, I had something like 30 dudes in my delayed entry program, like class or whatever. And uh, after we invaded Afghanistan in, in November of 2002, all except me and one other dude had left. And I don't mean like left for boot camp. They bailed the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah, they were like, parents came up to the recruiting office and was like, my kids aren't going to Afghanistan, you know, nope, nope, nope. Like, suddenly that college money didn't seem so, so worth it anymore. Yeah. So, so you, were part of, you were part of the surge, like going in right off of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I got stationed out in Hawaii and uh, out at 3rd Marine Division, and <laughs> we called ourselves the Coconut Corps, you know what I mean? Like, we were, all we did is like surf and fuck off, and... Uh, that my first deployment was a vacation, to be honest. Like we went to Southeast Asia, all of Thailand and Japan and basically just fucked off there for a year. And, uh, so I had no, once I had gotten there, I, I really didn't think we were going to go to combat. And then when I got back from my first deployment, we got a change command and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Mike Ramos, phenomenal, phenomenal battalion commander came in and was like, I'm going to take you motherfuckers to combat. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, obviously you're new here. You'll learn how it goes. I'll show you where the beach is and we'll be fine. And then, yeah, then a year later, I'm standing outside Fallujah watching it get the fuck bombed out of it. And I'm like, how the fuck did I end up here? Uh, so. I myself asking that question all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Damn. So, well, so, I mean, do you think in terms of, like, your first transition out of, the, out of active duty uh, as opposed to your second one out of the reserves, do you think, which one do you think was harder? Uh. The one out of the, when I got out of the, the military the first time, it was, I was young, so I was a little bit more impressionable. And I was also really jaded and disillusioned with, because I'd lost a lot of friends, you know, in the war. So I became like super left wing, like fuck Bush, fuck the war. Like, the, born on the 4th of July kind of shit, you know? Oh, and yeah. uh, and that, that's yeah. just how I, yeah. uh, how I was. Um, I, I ended up swinging way to the other side there for a little bit and got a hold of Facebook. And yeah, that was a that was bad news bear. <laughs> that was bad news bears there too. But, um, I'd say my second transition, and it wasn't necessarily out of the reserve, man. It was when I got done contracting. Um, yeah. I came home to write full-time 
Uh, I, like I said, I've been working with, with OAF Nation, and um, I'm not going to get too into the weeds on it, but there was a lot of um, promise and a lot of uh, momentum that kind of got lost and a lot of initiative that got lost at the top levels of that, and it kind of kind of was disappointing. Like, we were getting ready to publish a book, and like I was getting out for the sole purpose of publishing that book, getting that book published. And uh, it didn't pan out. And, dude, this, this whole thing that I had, I had put my six-figure salary on uh, just fizzled out. And I felt like a fucking loser. And I, I felt like I'd failed. And next thing you know, I am living in my truck. And I have a gun in my fucking mouth. Like, that was rough. Um, yeah. mm. And then here I am two years later. Like, I own a house. I'm going to school. Starting law school here pretty soon. Like, it really, uh, the last two years, I think would probably, I'd probably say would have been the, the hardest as far as my transition. And I've been out of the military proper for almost a decade. Wow. Why do you think it took so long for kind of not like necessarily rock bottom, but that transition hits you so hard a decade later? Man, I, you know, I told a good friend of mine this when I was, when I was contracting, even when I was in, in the recon teams, like he was like, why do you keep doing it? Like he was, he was with me in Fallujah. He was with me my entire active duty enlistment. And he's like, why the fuck do you keep doing this shit? And I'm like, I straight up told him, I'm afraid of what's going to happen when I stop. You know, as, hmm. long as, as long as I'm getting ready for the next deployment, I'm not focusing on myself per se. I'm not focusing on how I feel. I'm not focusing on the past. I'm focusing on what I'm doing right now and what I'm getting ready to do. Um, well, and those, that and the, the, the people around you, too. Sure, yeah. sure. How many, how many sergeant majors and first sergeants have you heard of, like, retiring and then dropping dead from a heart attack, like, a month or two later? Oh, for sure. For sure, man. And uh, that, that, that's hard. Man. That's really fucking hard. And so I kind of kept myself preoccupied with deployments. And I've got buddies that are still deploying uh, as contractors and, and, and operational. And I think the same, they're doing it for the same reason, man, because they're afraid of what's going to happen when they stop. I, I, they, I'm sure they, yeah, they, there's part, they're, they're, yeah, there was two with me. that I loved it. But at the same time, I was also terrified of what was going to happen when I stopped, when I no longer had a reason to get out of bed every day. And that's one of the reasons I wrote when the music stops for OAF, which was my, uh, my first piece that I, uh, that I did for them. Um, but yeah, that, that, that part of transition was, was the worst man, uh, stopping contracting. And then it was over. Like I was no longer like the cool guy action figure. Like I had no reason to like stay in shape. I had no reason to like maintain a capacity for, for physicality anymore. Um, I, just, I, I really kind of lost my, my sense of purpose. And I think, and I, I contend that that is the reason a lot of guys blow their brains out. Um, oh, sure. It's not necessarily PTSD. I know um, you guys may follow her on Instagram, uh, Megan Mobb. She's a doctorate student out of Columbia University. She yes. is, yeah, she, uh, she and her professor are the first people in academia to start really looking at military transition, Quay transition. Yeah. Um, as this huge uh, monolith and a, a problem uh, mm -hmm. because uh, the DOD doesn't really, you know, they tell you wear a suit, here's how to write a resume, go. They don't tell you like the nuance that's required to, to interact in the civilian community. Um, well, what do, you, what do you claim those nuances to be? Well, well, think about it, man. When you get out and you, you get your first civilian job, you're in their turf. Mm -hmm. like you're 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 operating on a, under a whole new set of rules just like a civilian would if they came over to the, the military side and, and suddenly you know and, and you get out and you you think you know a lot of shit you've got this this breadth of experience that a lot of people don't uh so it, it kind of causes conflict and i think that 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 conflict a lot of times is what fucks dudes up 
Um, yeah. and, and then the isolation, the loneliness, the, the lack of purpose. And I, again, I harp on that lack of purpose because when I wrote, when the music stops, that's when I kind of, everything clicked. I was, uh, are you mixing a drink right now? I am. All yes. right. I didn't know right. what that was. Yeah. Yep. I was trying to be quiet, but you know, might as well Yeah. let everyone know. Sure. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, um, so I wrote, I wrote when the music stops in 2014, I was working for the government in Afghanistan and I was, I was on teams with some bad motherfuckers, man. I had guys from SEAL Team 6, I had guys from CAG, I had guys who had, uh, one of the guys on my team, he was a, a Ranger uh, first sergeant in the Battle of Mogadishu, like dudes who had been on the, the, the Paul Bremer detail, who had been on the Hamid Karzai detail. Like these guys had been doing the shit since I was in diapers, man. Jesus. Um, yeah. I yeah. was going to say, if that was 2014 and you're talking about Paul Bremer, like that's, that's a retirement. Like for sure. Yeah. You had an entire career at a contract. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys have been doing the damn thing for a long fucking time. And in March of 2014, the client that we were working with left Afghanistan. Um, they were no longer allowed to operate in Afghanistan. Uh, there was a, a huge order that said that essentially no U.S. forces can leave bases, and that includes the, the people we were working for. So uh, our company essentially laid us off. And these are dudes who had been working, doing the same thing for fucking 15 years. And I watched grown men, like, straight up professional tough guys cry because they were worried about what they were going to do with the rest of their lives. Guys in their late thirties and early forties, mid forties, even had no idea what to do with the rest of their lives. And that is kind of a question I've always wondered is <clears throat> guys who've been military for so long, uh, infantry typically go into contracting and then right there, your title kind of alludes to it when the music stops was like when that contracting stops, what is usually those guys next step? Yeah. insurance salesman fuck i don't know <laughs> i don't know like they they look for anything like they'll and, and i i shudder to think and i i i blame myself i didn't really keep in contact with a lot of the dudes that i was with a lot i'm sure a lot of guys got read in on a, a bunch of other projects but yeah. uh you know these one guy had just put his it was so proud that he had put his two little girls in a private school like uh he was so happy about it. another guy had just <laughs> another idiot had just bought his wife we you know we were making and five figures a month and he's living check to check just bought his wife a brand new mercedes and uh like so these guys are like i have plans you know and uh no matter how stupid they are and they're like breaking down in tears because they don't know what they're gonna do with themselves anymore um because they finally realize and we're watching we're we're down at kandahar and we're watching the, the boardwalk get broken down you know we're watching operations kind of start to wind down and uh people are going on deployment to essentially do like potato sack races and eat ice cream on the boardwalk and <laughs> And it's, it, it, these guys are watching it. And uh, yeah, it, just, it was really disheartening. So I, I went back to my room and I sat down and I wrote When the Music Stops. And uh, the guy who uh, runs, ran OAF, he worked on the same project I worked on. And a lot of guys knew him. So I, I kind of threw the network, got a hold of him and was like, hey, man, I wrote this. You can publish it. I don't need you to credit me. I just want to get this shit out there. And it broke the fucking internet. Uh, I had. That he started I, using the pseudonym or? Uh, I I'd gotten that call sign when I worked in Baghdad. I'm not gonna get into that story, but yep. I got I got that uh, that call sign when I worked in Baghdad. And uh, he wanted to when he decided he was gonna publish it, and he wanted me to write full time. After the the uh, reaction that the piece had gotten, I had decided to use that that moniker, and uh, just kind of it kind of stuck. And man, I <clears throat> I tell you what, still to this day, I'm kind of like fuck. I I really shot my wad that that first piece, and it, it, it was it was hard. To, 
it was hard to to follow up, you know. And um, I don't necessarily feel the same way I did when I wrote that. I wrote that out of a, like anger and sadness, and I was I was pissed at <coughs> the world, and that 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 came out in my writing, and it resonated with a lot of people. And I well, think anytime that, any kind of emotions behind writing people automatically can feel that it doesn't need to be super articulate. It doesn't need to be completely grammatically correct at times. It's like sure. when people can feel that emotion. It's like, it's powerful. So. Oh yeah, man. Dave Rose, uh, he hopped on about two years into the, my four years of OAF. He hopped on, he was writing for, I think, Havoc Journal. He hopped on and uh, he's Mr. Blonde. And he, oh, right. He, he, he's he, written a couple books now, huh? Yeah, he, he wrote uh, uh, Spent Shell Cases. Well, no, it's called No Joy now, but he originally wrote a book called Spent Shell Cases, which got picked up by a publisher. It's now called No Joy, available in bookstores everywhere. Um, really good stuff. But uh, he, he always told me, man, you write from the heart chakra. You know, you're the, you're the heart of OAF. And he was the, the more cerebral, the more philosophical, the more learned, scholarly type that would write and um he actually kind of pushed me to write better um so yeah man i i did the the oaf thing we, we tried to get a book published i ended up leaving oaf uh and kind of like i said i ended up living in my in my truck for a little bit and uh, working in a comic book store uh trying to make ends meet and going back to school and yeah let myself get fat and yeah yeah it's easy to do yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> So what uh, made you – have you were you interested in law beforehand or do you just like, hey, you, let's you go know, to law school? That, no, that's an interesting story, man. So when I when I'd gotten out and uh, gotten done contracting in 2014, I had a, a really, really bad deployment with the State Department in 2014. Um, and I came home and I was like, I'm fucking done. I am done. And uh, the guy who ran OAF, he was like, man, stay home. He's like, I'm going to pay you and we're going to make fucking millions publishing books and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I'm like, oh, fuck, cool. All right. Um, so that summer, no, 2015, I got summoned, I got a summon for, uh, jury duty on a rape trial where I lived. And of course, like nobody wants to get jury duty, right? It's pain in the ass. So I, I go and I'm all pissed off. I'm like, fuck this. This is stupid. And I ended up getting selected and dude, it was, I got to watch 12 people from different backgrounds and different beliefs and different values come together under a, like a given set of facts and make a decision regarding the, the well-being or the, the future of another human being. It was fucking amazing. And um, I, you know, one of my professors uh, here at in my university, he, he said that law isn't perfect and the outcome is perfect in the process. And that, and that very much was. Like, I got to watch people, and I, I thought it was going to be shit. Like, I, I was a jury foreman, and I thought, like, everybody was going to lose their minds. And everybody basically came to the same consensus. Um, but this kid wasn't, wasn't guilty. I mean, the kid was a, a former Marine and just, it was just a shit show of a, of a trial, but, uh, I fell in love with it. I, I was, I, I enjoyed watching, uh, the process and I was, I went to the same gym at the time as the defense attorney and I had asked him in the locker room, uh, Hey man, uh, do you think I'm too old to go to the law school? And he's like, fuck no. So I was like, Roger this. <laughs> so, so that was it. And I kind of blew it off. I was like, all right, well, I'll get to it after I get, maybe, you know, after I publish a book and, you know, make my millions with OAF, maybe I'll look at it. Did, did you already have an undergrad at that point? I did not. I did not. I had, uh, fuck, I might, I, I should be a doctor by now. Uh, <laughs> with as much time as I've spent in community college, I would, um, you know, GI Bill, yeah, I, uh, if I do over again, I would have used 
so much tuition assistance. Oh yeah, dude. I, uh, I, I had gotten all my prereqs for paramedic course and firefighter. The, the fire Academy was through, through the community college that I went to. And, uh, I just had a few, few other prereqs to do, but I was like, eh, I'll do it after I, you know, flesh out my career at, at OAF. And then, uh, kind of hit rock bottom at that point. And um, I had a woman reach out to me. She's the head of the Children of Fallen Soldiers Foundation. She reached out to me and she, like a lot of guys in my unit had known that I was going through a hard time and um, had contacted her and she contacted me and she's offering me money and all kinds of shit. I'm like, no, 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 I, I have a job. It's just, it just doesn't pay a lot. Like I was making a thousand bucks a month. Like I'm, I'm like, I'll, I'll figure it out. I, I always do. Like I've been in worse situations. I'll, I'll figure it the fuck out. And she's like, well, have you thought about going back to school? And I just kind of like a light bulb. Like, why didn't I think of that? You know? Um, so I, I did. I did. I ended up uh, at the time I, was, I had run out of money. I'd been living off savings for two years. I'd run out of money and I didn't want to get evicted from the house that I was renting. So I, um, I uh, didn't sign a new lease and I didn't have anywhere else to stay. Uh, so I ended up living in my car for a couple of weeks. And then when... Uh, I was at the comic book store and another former Marine came in. I didn't really know the guy. I just knew that he was a former Marine, really kind of high strung dude, really good dude, but high strung dude came in. I was like, Oh, he had heard that I was living in my truck and was like, well, you could come stay with me. And I ended up living with him for almost a year and nice. uh, kind of broing it out with him. Damn. So, so you're in, uh, you're doing, you're doing your undergrad right now. I am. I am. I'm in my last uh, couple weeks of my undergrad. And right you're now. doing your homework in a house. Oh Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yep. Good. For sure. uh, and then, uh, and then, what what kind of career direction like, are you looking to do? Probably oh man, like um, real estate. N- did you say real estate? Yeah. Uh, I I couldn't keep a house, so we'll probably go with no. <laughs> um, no man, I uh, I actually want to go into family law. I want to do child custody and divorce cases. Cool. And I really want to focus on the veteran community uh, as far as veterans advocacy and stuff goes. I, I know a couple guys, a couple attorneys out on the East Coast. Uh, out in Boston who run kind of a, uh, an attorney collective who provides low or no cost legal assistance to, to veterans and active duty military guys. Cause at the end of the day, especially in the area of like divorce and child custody cases, like veterans get fucked. Um, yep. every time, uh, it's, it's very easy to say he's a veteran, therefore he's crazy. Therefore he's an unfit parent. Um, and there's a, a huge stigma around that. Thanks to things like, fucking dysfunctional veterans and awesome shit my drill instructor says and all that trash that, that <laughs> wants to perpetuate i'll call him out i don't give a fuck that yep. wants to per- perpetuate that who wants to perpetuate this like this negative stereotype um which I'll, i'm not gonna lie man when i first got out i i fed fed right into it everybody yeah, did yeah yeah and then They're, if like it, and if anybody says they didn't they're lying yeah yeah man because and i you did go, you go for your comfort zone right and like that's sure. it exactly Exactly. And I felt, I felt right to fuck into it, but you know what, writing for OAF and kind of being able to, you know, I had to write anonymously for a little bit for stupid fucking reasons, but, um, writing and having feedback on social media with these, these, these other veterans really taught me a lot. Like I really learned a lot from my fans and even people that fucking hated what I wrote. Um, like I still learned something from them. And one of those things was, I do not want to let my service define me as a human being. Mm. Well, I think I can't remember exactly what uh, Tommy. I uh, well, no, yeah, Tommy. But there's a there's an article written by some I can't remember what it is, but it's pretty much saying don't let your military career define the rest of your life. And it's yeah. like you were you were one person then, and yeah, you can kind of live in that your glory sure. days for a little while, 
But, man, when you're 50, 60 years old, like, it's great to look at the past, but I hope you're still doing something, you know? like Sure, sure, it, yeah. It, it, especially if you only did four, eight, ten years or something like that. Like, sure. You still should have had a whole other career after that. So that's good to, to hear that, yeah, now you're going to start giving back. Yeah, and I'm, it's not to say – and I think that this gets lost in translation here, man. A lot of people equivocate me saying – that you should move on and, and do something else with your life to, to not being proud of your service. That's not, no, that's not, not what I'm all. saying at all. Like, no. Be proud of your service. Be proud of what you did for your country, whatever. But don't be that Uncle Rico asshole or like mm-hmm. Al Bundy. You know, we used to put that up all, all the time on OAF. You know, he always talked about his, what was it, his almost touchdown in the last game of the season when he was in high school or whatever. We would have made state. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Would have made state. Like he, he you can't <laughs> live, you can't be that Uncle Rico, man. You can't sit there and constantly live in the past. And I, I think about this too, man. I brought this up to, to somebody I was talking to a couple weeks ago. I said, could you imagine if the World War II veterans came back and acted the way like our generation is? Like nothing would have gotten done. Nothing <laughs> would have gotten done. Like they wouldn't have gone back to the factories. They'd be like, well, my wife's been working in the factory for the last four years, so I might as well let he, her keep doing what she's doing. You know, I got, it, I got internet fights to win. You know, the YouTube shooting videos of them doing like stop motion trench drills probably would have been pretty entertaining, but (laughs) (laughs) it's funny how that happens where people come back and they 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 say that our generation is like the entitled generation, and it's almost like the military. Like, as soon as you get back, we are almost the face of that. Like, everyone wants to thank you for your service, which is great in itself. Sure. But as soon as you start getting thanked all the time, now you start thinking you're owed something all the time. Yes. And that was driving me nuts there yeah. during my transition. And, and you can kind of probably even relate with the para- paramedic firefighter thing. Is I go around my town as a firefighter and people are thanking me for my service. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you're welcome. No problem. But thank you, guys. And I hear guys within our department saying, like, oh, I wouldn't get that discount, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, really? Sure. Like, yeah. You should just, you have a job that pays you extremely well, great benefits. And we have a job that, like, we wake up every day wanting to go to. It's like, that not good enough? Now you want sure. your 10% discount at Lowe's? And it's like, that's great. I'm going to use it. But you're not owed a damn thing. Ever. Sure. <laughs> oh, you're sure, taking man. a discount. And, I, you know, I kind of learned. I, I, like, I don't know, man. I'm a trained observer. So one of the things I've noticed is that, that the guys who didn't do shit. You know, David Rose said something really kind of profound to me years ago. And it was, the empty can rattles the loudest. Yeah. Um. And so I, I noticed, and I, I don't want to generalize, I don't want to paint with broad brushstrokes, but I think it's the guys who didn't really do a lot of shit who are making up for that out in the world mm. with the entitlement. Amen. With, with, you know, with yeah. the, the multicam baseball caps and the fucking beards and the, uh, what I call the sins of omission, which, you know, I'm not, I am definitely not the, like, the arbiter of like, moral virtue at all, trust me. But... <laughs> um, my, 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 I think the lie that is the most egregious is when you have people, it's called the sins of omission, where you, you, t- you tell a half-truth and you let people assume the gaps. So running around saying, I'm a Marine, you know that everybody's going to assume that you're this fucking like bayonets fitting, like hard-charging, like barrel-breasted yes. freedom fighter, you know? And <laughs> you were y- data entry specialist, which is fine. We need data <laughs> entry specialists. But come on, man. You know people Actually- are going to assume that shit. That just reminds me of a story that yeah, during paramedic school, there's I think 35, almost 40 of us in class. I think Jesus. almost 10 of us are are veterans. So it's kind of sure. cool. Like Marine, actually, I think it's only really Marine and Army. I think one Air Force dude, and he's a little Fuck. weirdo, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's this one Marine guy, uh, super good, good dude. Like uh, in the class wise, I able to answer all the questions and stuff. And 
I think I've talked to him a little bit about the Marines. I think he was a mechanic or something like that. Well, me and a buddy who was actually stationed, uh, stationed up in uh, Fort Lewis with uh, what Second Bat Ranger Regiment. Yeah, uh, he's in my class now, and he he and I have like clicked, and one of my good buddies now, and he overheard that Marine mechanic talking to one of the civilians in class, saying something about SEER training, and he's like, "There's no way that that Marine went to the SEER. He's a mechanic and stuff." And he, he just barely mentioned SEER, and the people are like, oh, you did that? And he's like, yeah, everybody kind of does it, blah, blah, And he was talking about SEER 100, the online <laughs> thing that you do with the little yep. simulated thing, making yep. sure you take your cat card out, and then oh, now you're in a room and you're looking around. And he went and he's like, are you talking about SEER 100? And he's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, of course that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But it's exactly that, that omission yep. thing. Yep, he's not lying, per nope. se. But he's also letting everybody fill in the gaps, which is mm-hmm. bullshit. I fucking hate that. Yeah, um, it was hilarious. Yeah, dude. Uh, I, I, I see that shit a lot. Um, I, you know, I won't get into the weeds on this, but I, that's one of the reasons I left my former publication with shit like that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no hard feelings there. I, I wish them the best. I hope they, they do well. They, they've got a very big platform. They've got a lot, of, a lot of space to do a lot of really good shit. But, uh, yeah, that's one, one of the reasons I left. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. So I think uh, that's probably it leads us into, you know, our next topic, in, you know, in terms of like veterans affairs and advocacy and stuff with uh, what you're looking to specialize in. Like, what do, you, sure, yeah. what do you think? I mean, you pretty much just said it, but like, what do you think is the biggest issue plaguing post 9-11 veterans right now? Oh, well, I think it's twofold. And like I said, that, that Megan Mob gal, she's the one that like, She's, she really, I read her paper. It's called uh, Beyond War and PTSD. It's a peer reviewed paper. I recommend you guys check it out. Yep. It, uh, it really, it really looks at transition, uh, as, as kind of a catalyst for a lot of other things. Um, mm-hmm. you know, not only transition as it's hard to adapt to a new society, I guess. Um, but also as like the time you get out, you're going through, you know, in your early to mid twenties, you're going through, a kind of a, a second adolescence. And so there's, there's a lot of, you're still trying to figure out who you are in the world and a lot of psychological uh, factors involved in that. So I think transition is definitely like the biggest issue. Uh, but I think it's, it's this lack of purpose, man. I think a lot of guys get out and they think that I just spent the last four years, eight years, 10 years doing the best thing that I'll ever fucking do. Uh, nothing is ever going to be as cool Nothing is ever going to be as worthwhile. Nothing is ever going to be as fulfilling as what I just fucking did. So why try? And I'm yeah. trying to show guys, and a lot of guys get out and they become cops and they become firefighters, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. I did it. Um, but a lot of guys kind of limit themselves in scope. They're like, all right, well, and I think that a lot of it, the reason I joined the fire department was because, one, I wanted to get paid to work out, and, two, I wanted to hang out with, like, bros. You know what I mean? Like, I wanted to, that sense of brotherhood. Um, Definitely, right. definitely wasn't what I found. You know, I, I there's, you know, like I said, I, I, I ended up living at the firehouse for a little bit. My, uh, my girlfriend at the time and I had, had some issues and uh, I was living with her, got kicked out, ended up living at the firehouse for a little bit. Not, and they knew I was living there. Not one motherfucker asked me if I was okay. Yeah. No, mm. you know, so it was just, it was kind of a letdown. So it's one of the reasons I left. Um, my buddy is, uh, is a firefighter and he, uh, he said kind of the same thing. He said like, the brotherhood's there when the funerals happen and then sure yeah 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 when you're on scene and and the 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 blaze is going you're all about being bros but the minute you you know somebody's up for promotion or uh you got a new guy yeah 
Yeah, no, I, I'm, I've only been in for about two years now, and I don't think I've ever, and it's not just my department, it's almost fire service-wise, I've never seen such gossipy people. It's like yeah. high school girls. It's, backbiting and, yeah. It's not so much backbiting, but it, it's, your first impression holds weight for like the rest of your career almost. For sure, uh, yeah. You're that new pro B, and okay, yeah, you don't know anything regardless of your experience, and I can understand that to itself to some point. But, oh, man, somebody else on another crew on another shift sees you. Oh, now everybody in the rest of the department that hasn't met you now has that image of you because whatever. But Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. man. But, yeah, dude, I, th- I think it's just this lack of purpose, man. Dudes get out, and they think, like, their best years are behind them. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they don't have a reason. So they, they live in the past. They live in their career. They walk around wearing the fucking Iraqi freedom hat that you see at the VFW all the time. Like, it's. It's it's that kind of shit. They wear the DD two fourteen on the back of their their truck. It's it's they live in the past, and uh, whether they like to admit it or not, like that's not that's not the best thing for you. And I think I definitely want to see a lot more. I was um, I applied at a top twenty law school out here, and uh, when I was talking to the admissions officer, I asked her, you know, how active the Student Veterans Association is here, and she's like, well, we have four veterans, and I'm like, what? Uh, <laughs> You know, like out of a, out of you know all these all these law students, you've got four veterans, and she's like, <laughs> veterans just don't apply here, and I'm like, that's that's <laughs> interesting to me. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's a lot of veterans who don't. Okay, so I think we could admit that there's a general consensus among veterans, uh, or a large population of veterans that kind of lean more towards the right side of the political spectrum. Yeah, and was, and therefore yeah. they think that that universities, and they're kind of right are these like liberal, like brainwashing boot camps that they're going to get out the other side and just be like, you will not assume my gender. You will, you will, you know, I will check my privilege at all sites. You know, like, it's just, they turn into these like talking points that they see on, on the, the, the media every day. And it's not it at all. If you go to a decent university, they're going to teach you how to think, not what to think. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but I think that that's one reason a lot of guys don't, kind of seek that route and i think a lot of guys too underestimate themselves i, I know a lot of guys i know i did when i first i never thought i'd be smart enough to be a paramedic man when i was an emt basic i remember looking at the drug box and be like man i'm not smart enough to do that shit you know reading ekgs fuck that noise uh and then i did it you know and i kind of learned that if you apply yourself you there's nothing you can't you can't do and that's one of the things i try and get across on on instagram poorly but i try to get it across on instagram it's like there's there's nothing you can't do. Like I'm, I'm, I'm deadlifting and squatting. And, and a year ago I was bedridden. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing you can't fucking do. And I think that if, if anything in the military teaches, if, if the military teaches you anything, it's to, to work hard. You know, if, if you did it right, you know what I mean? Like if you didn't fuck off and you weren't a, a skater, um, it, it teaches you to work hard. And I, that's what I, I told the dean of my, the, my, my, my law school is like, I'm, I'm not necessarily the smartest person in the room. I'm not talented, really. I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't come from money. Um, so I don't really have a, like a way, I don't have a way paved for me. So, but I'll outwork every motherfucker in this building yep. and every day of the week. Um, and I, I think that's, a, that's the big problem with a lot of guys. And I, I, I posted a really shitty Instagram video about this a couple weeks ago. I think the, the, the mentality is I did my time. I don't need to do shit else. Like, fuck that noise. Fuck being a student. Fuck being the new guy in the department. Fuck being the, the brand new employee. Fuck being an underling, an assistant, what have you. And I think that's kind of the wrong way to look at it. You know, so you got a lot of guys living on disability and fucking off and being keyboard warriors. And it's, yeah. it's sad to see. 
I think the ex- expectation is either really high or really low. Yeah. Um, based, you know, based on your resume. Like, sure. As soon as you see whatever branch of service, uh, you know, expectations are set wherever, uh, but it's, it's never mid range. And like, it, it can either work great for you or really shitty. Right. Like I, sure. uh, I just started a new job over the summer that I'm working now. And like, um, because I knew the people that I was, you know, the management and stuff and because of my resume and stuff, um, I kind of got hung out to dry per se, like not in, not in the worst way, just, um, it was assumed that I was competent. So in terms of like on the job training, I got nothing. But they were like, well, like he can fight, he can talk to people, like he can do this, but like, it's the biggest regional, like it's the biggest hospital in the region. Uh-huh. Um, it's enormous. So like in terms of like navigating that building, even I had to like teach myself and like, it's, I'm still learning shit. Sure. Uh, different procedural stuff, like within a healthcare facility that big, it's a crazy. And it's, that's a totally new game for me. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, again, like it, it can either work for you or work against you. And like in that case, you know, people having faith in me, like worked against me just cause I didn't get the same on the job training that like, <laughs> some Joe blow from, you know, fresh out of school would have gotten. Sure. Sure, man. And I think the, the, the transition assistance programs that the DOD runs, they, they, you know, like I said, I spent a week fucking off and learned how to write resumes and told to wear a suit during an interview. I didn't learn how to network. I didn't learn how to communicate in a, in a job. You know what I mean? I didn't really learn like nuance. Yeah. Um, little shit like living on my own. Um, you know, I, I lived in the barracks for four years. I didn't know like, like, for instance, I started renting a house uh, when I got out, and I didn't know that, like, I had to call the power company to have the, the, the electricity transferred over my name. Like, I figured, like, it was already, like, a thing. I would just send them a check every month. Like, I didn't – little shit like that that, like, blew my mind and frustrated the fuck out of me when they shut my electricity off for non-payment. Like, I – little shit like that. They don't, they don't prepare – and it's funny, but, I mean, like, a 22-year-old kid, and I'm, like, freaking out because my electricity's off, and I'm calling my landlord. He's like, uh, yeah, you're supposed to pay that. And I'm like, well, I – I didn't get a, get a bill, you know, whatever, uh, <laughs> you know, shit like that, man. Um, they just don't, they don't prepare you for, for civilian life. They, they kind of, um, make sure that you get out and you're still this outlier. Um, yeah. like you, sh- for sure. Like you definitely want to like display, uh, confidence and, and knowledge and wisdom gained from your service. But you also want to be able to integrate, right? Like you don't want to be that asshole that doesn't get invited. You don't want to be that guy that everybody looks like. Oh, great! Here comes so and so. He's the marine. He's you know, you're walking around with a high and tight still. Like <laughs> you don't want to be that guy. You don't be that. Like you want to integrate. And I think if you integrate, you can start making change. That if you don't like something, you start changing things from the inside. Right. You know. So I, I as far as like the biggest issue, I transition hands down and finding a purpose. Yeah. Like, and my, mine right now is helping other veterans. Like, I think, like, service was such a big deal to me. Like, why do I need to stop serving? Like, I still serve in, in the capacity of my, my fellow veterans. And, and writing does that. I know it's not as tangible as a lot of the stuff that uh, Recon Sniper Foundation does. But I, I, I write. I'm going to school to learn how to help guys out with their, their child custody cases and their divorce cases. Like, I'm really – and eventually I'd like to get into politics and start, start lobbying for veterans – veterans affairs get some va reform going on you know that yep, actually, yeah. you know what's your what's your take on that with the the current game being run with as, as far as the va man you know i can't bite the hand that feeds me 
No. But um, at the same time, like there's, it's, it's a bureaucracy, right? And uh, the bureaucracies are created to, in order to um, mitigate redundancy and to try and prevent overlap and try and improve communication between departments mm-hmm. so that there's not a, a redundancy of efforts. However, that also creates a lot of red tape and a lot of barriers to, to care. And I think that there needs to be a lot more stream. And they've been working so hard, man. To oh, uh, I mean, it's a bog down. down sure, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, they're working hard. So I can't sit here. I'm not going to be one of these guys. I, I had a, oh, fuck me. I had an internet argument with a guy last week who immediately assumed that, like, everybody at the VA is against him. And the VA just blanket sucks. And I'm like, yeah. I'm <laughs> going to law school because of the VA. Yeah, I you know I have health care because of the VA. I'm getting paid to sit on my ass and go to school. Yeah, by the VA, I cannot complain. Like I have a, a, a counselor at the VA. She's wonderful. Um, you know, I I, I can't bite the hand that feeds me. And I think a lot of dudes who who bitch about the VA are guys who can't figure out how to fill out the paperwork or don't you get I frustrated. Really, I really think that's it because I've only been out for three and a half years now, and I've never had an issue with the VA. Sure. Yeah. And I've used them a dozen times by now. I get yeah. paid. I get paid the exact same time every month. Yep. Uh, every time I've applied for school, like it's accepted and improved, and go through the whole counseling thing. Yeah, man. If uh, it were easier, disability to get benefits. I think our national deficit would be crazy. Yeah, crazy th- than what it is. I think if it was easier, people would still find a reason to bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's just. I think that's just the nature of the beast, man. I think dudes get out and think that. You know, bitching like they did when they were fucking Lance Cooley somehow translates to the real world, and it it doesn't. Um, there are a lot of issues within the VA for sure, and there's a lot of issues in, in any government bureaucracy. But I think right now, like, there's a lot of efforts to uh, to streamline processes and make access to care a lot easier. I had a a buddy of mine. I was helping him out with some VA paperwork, and he he got frustrated at the website. And yeah, granted, the website is not user friendly at all. Uh, they the could government. probably yeah, they could probably use like some some new IT guys to make things a little bit more user friendly, what have you. But he like he quit. He quit filling out the fucking paperwork. No. I, I got a hold of him like two weeks later. I'm like, hey, how's everything going with this? And he's like, oh man, I fucking gave up on that shit. I couldn't fucking figure out how to use the goddamn website. I'm like, <laughs> and, he, and he's like, that's the reason I quit last time. And I'm like, you literally let a website kick your ass. Yep. <laughs> um. All right, bro. We'll see. We're talking about the VA, which is federal entity itself sure but you even said right there with the sniper foundation or uh yeah it's a five you have a 501c out here that are helping people tremendously nowadays so that's that's where the difference is is not only is our government helping us in the capacity that it can there's so many more resources out there that you just simply google them or go on facebook or instagram or twitter and you you'll find something that will fit your needs sure and people are out there just wanting to help people nowadays or yeah. veterans veterans is specific but yeah for sure man for There's sure but the sense that it, it's not necessary like half the programs that are out there you know what i mean yeah yeah i'm in the i'm in the vocational rehab program right now for the va yeah. and it's it's fucking wonderful and i think that anybody that can get on like if you're struggling and you're trying to find your place in the world like go do voc rehab like that shit like my counselor she helped me get everything squared away and like i said that's the reason i'm i'm i am where i am right now um, is because of the VA. If I hadn't I didn't have the VA, I'd probably still be living in my truck. Do you want to give like, like an elevator speech for the uh, the Voc Rehab program for 
Uh, yeah, you know, while I, while I can, you know, I, I, if you're a 10% disabled veteran or, or higher, you, it's, it's not an education program. It's an employment program. They help yeah. you start a second career or get on your feet. They also do a bunch of other services, um, get, get you access to 501c3s and such. And they also help you, uh, if you're a reservist, get back with your old job or retrain you, what have you. They're all about make, making sure that you're able to live on your own, sustain yourself. And um, so you go in, you apply for the program. They either tell you that you're accepted in the program or they deny you based on certain factors. And then you sit down with a counselor, which is basically a career counselor, and they walk through different career options for you. It's just like it was with a guidance counselor in high school, just a little bit more useful. And they, uh, they, they go over these different career paths. And when, once you kind of settle on a career path, they're like, okay, go. We will make sure – they will get – they make sure that you are everything you need is paid for. So like your school, they, they, the GI, if you have GI bill left, um, they will pay you at the same housing rate. They will pay your tuition. They give you money for books. They give you a, a supply stipend. Any, anything that comes out of your pocket, you just give them a receipt and they, they take care of it for you. They make sure that, that the process of you getting and training for another job is as stress-free as possible. Um, now, there are a lot of guys who go there and try to do the whole like, oh, I'm working. I want to be a banker, so I want an MBA. When they have already got a bachelor's degree in finance or whatever, and the VA will tell you like, no, we're not going to pay for you to get an MBA. You are capable of getting a job with the degree you have right now. Yeah. Um. So that's that's a big mis misconception with the vocational rehab program is guys think like, oh, I'm going to be a fucking astronaut, and so you show up with shitty math grades and and no science background. They're not going to pay that kind of money for you. They want successes. They want somebody. With and, and it's a hard program to like if you can't figure out the paperwork for a lot of shit for the VA, this probably isn't for you. Like if you're an ASVAB, <laughs> if you're an ASVAB waiver, you should probably just find something else <laughs> to do. Um, because they want people with the, the 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 mental fortitude and the intellectual acuity to navigate this, jump through these hoops, man. So that when you, because it, it, it is a hard process. So that when you finish school and you get employment, they can put you in the fucking win column. And they can, they can go to the government and say, hey, give us more money because look at all these motherfuckers that have been winning, you know? And that, I, that's I awesome. I can't blame a, 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 a program for doing shit like that. But even if you want to learn a trade, uh, they, you, you say, hey, look, I want to be a welder. I want to be a carpenter. I want to be a plumber. Whatever. They will help you out. Um, it just, it's just takes a little bit of legwork. It takes a little bit of legwork. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's probably one of the best programs that they have running. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely the best kept secret. Yep. Yeah, it's it's kept big for a reason. Again, yeah. for guys who want to go in and get their MBAs and you know that kind of shit because it it does have a very limited budget. And if yeah. you know everybody wanted to go and become astronauts or engineers or what have you, like they would have no fucking money. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's uh, let's shift it a little bit. Let's, sure, man. Uh, let's finish that. We'll talk about Syria. Oh. Yeah. That's that's happening. That'll that'll chestnut. Um, that, that happened. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. man. Let's say it's I, dude. I we don't, we try to stay apolitical, but it's good to kind of bring some perspective to current events. Yeah, man. I, I you know, and as far as being like apolitical, like I'm, I'm a political science major. Like that's what my my degree is in. Um, <laughs> I love it. I do. I absolutely love it. And you you expect again? I'm going to university. I'm studying political science. I'd be in a classroom with a bunch of like 22 year old kids who are all like super hyper left wing liberals and that's not it man like the more i go to school the more to the center i get drawn because i see 
the gray area. Like I've learned yeah. the big thing that I've learned is not everything is black and white. Like yeah. when you, when you, excuse me, when you break everything down into like three minute sound bites on MSNBC or Fox news or whatever your poison choice is, like you cannot get all the nuance and all of the, the minutia that go into these decisions that are made or all these issues that are brought up. It's silly. Um, so as far as Syria goes, man, I sh- shrug my fucking shoulders. Like I, I, on one hand, I don't think that we should be getting involved in something that we don't have to like, sure. Chemical weapons are a problem. Um, but I think that that's something that we need to solve as a, as a, as a global entity. I don't think the United States should always have to be the fucking world's policeman. No. Um, I think that's, that's gotten us in trouble, uh, ever since Korea. You know what I mean? Like, I think that we, we think that we have to be these like champions of justice in the world. And it's like, look, I get it. That's cool and all. However, it costs us a lot of blood, sweat, and treasure. You know, I, yeah, we had some pretty heavy precedents. Sure. And, and, you know, I, I wrote a piece uh, called Sills when I was in Iraq and when I was working for the State Department. And this was during a time when ISIS was rolling through Iraq. And it, like, it was very uncertain as to a lot of shit going on at the time. And I, I would get on the internet and see people like, oh, yeah, we should go to war in Iraq again, or we should go to war in Syria. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, it's all well and good until you start seeing flag-draped coffins come back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think people understand the price for that. And, you know, I, I catch a lot of shit for this, and it's fine. But I, I, mm, I can't stand when dudes come back and they're like, I fought for your freedom. Mm. Um, I, 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 dude, I, a lot of guys get butt hurt about that, but I'm like... Listen. They're the ones who probably didn't do anything. No. Yeah, sure. They, they are. Yeah, yeah. You fought for the GI Bill, and you fought for... The dude to your left and right. I'm about to say, and you fought for the people who were there. You weren't thinking about yeah. your neighbors or anything. Sure, like, exactly. As good man. as they are and everything, and you're happy to be around them now. No, when you were over there, you weren't... Yeah. Yeah. Right, go on. And, and <laughs> I, I, yeah I, no, I, I remember being in Fallujah and asking my lieutenant at the time. I'm like, hey, sir, I remember signing up to, like protect the constitution against all enemies, foreign domestic. And I'm here protecting illiterate fucking farmers from guys in tracksuits because, because we create a power <laughs> vacuum. Uh, my opinion was not popular at the time in the platoon, but I just kind of remember thinking, uh, but I've always been that way. I've always been the one to question things. And I just remember looking around and being like, dude, I, we lost like my, my battalion lost 51 guys in that deployment. Yeah. And I just, I just remember thinking to myself, like, and it's a, I, I, I deluded myself into thinking that it was worth it. And I, ooh, I'm, I'm going to catch a lot of shit for saying that. But, like, I, I have a hard time saying that what we did in Iraq was worth the blood and the, the lives of, of, of young men and women. I, 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 can't, I can't in good conscience say that. You know? I think that that's becoming a more popular opinion, too. I think people are starting yeah. to – I mean, and who knows with Syria because I'm seeing a lot of dumb shit on the internet. But, sure. like, I think people are starting to make sense and say, like, ooh – might have might have bit off more than we could chew there. Might have sure. made some boo boos. Yeah, and I, I think I think the initial reaction was kind of noble. Like, hey, we see that those people over there are getting their basic human rights uh, denied by the people who are around them. Let's go and save them. And we had this alluded idea of like, okay, now they have weapons of mass destruction, possibly, but it's not even in the the same country, and they have a dictator coming to rise. And okay, we stomp it, blah blah, blah and we went in there and we kicked ass, and then all of a sudden it was like. Okay, what do we do? Now what? <laughs> well, yeah. exactly. Like you said too, like, no, I mean, nothing Nothing we did was noble. We just did, you know, certain tasks, right? Like you were saying. We did exactly what we were told. Yeah. Guys in tracksuits, and I broke down fobs and babysat trucks and um, 
you know, we, we all did these, these little, little tiny puzzle pieces, but right. Um, you know, in terms of like the, the grand scheme, I don't know. Yeah. And it, it, it it's very hard for me to look <clears throat> back and, and say that like it was worth it, you know? And I remember getting so mad at a buddy of mine years ago. This was when I was still in the recon teams, uh, kind of a, a guy who had uh, gone to college his entire life. He's a professor now. Wonderful guy. Love him to death. Uh, but I remember saying he, him essentially saying to me like Fallujah wasn't worth it, and I was just like I was about ready to come to fisticuffs with his ass. I was so like morally offended that he would say something like that. But I, the more I kind of like think about it, the more I'm like I kind of kind of agree with him, you know. And I, I think that's a that's a huge issue with a lot of vets, at least a lot of the the ones that are critical thinkers, is that like there's that moral injury, right? Like I I and there's, I dealt with that for a long time. Um, this this feeling of like why the fuck did I do that, you know, or why the fuck did yeah. like my, my best friends get killed over there? Uh, I dealt with survivor's guilt too for a long time. Um, it it was just uh it, it's that that moral injury, and I, I I am I am a lot more hesitant to to wave the American flag and say that we should charge in because men men women and children are getting and dude the videos that came out of Syria are fucking heart wrenching they're awful absolutely um, especially you know little kids like no little kid deserves that shit. But at the same time, like when it, where is it our place um, to do that? And I, I, I contend, and I wrote a piece called Before the Man. It was about the concept of honor. And yeah. I think what is honorable about sending an 18, like filling a, an 18 year old kid's head full of ideas that he's going to go over there and save these fucking kids. Yeah. Like, I think that's, that's, that's kind of, I understand, like as an officer, as a commander, you have to like feed these kids like you have to feed their their virtue you have to feed them this hero narrative like you are the the fucking the jedi of the world and you need to go out and spread goodness and cheer and and freedom you know to get them to to fight for you but at the same time like how is that fucking fair you know you got some some 19 year old kid going to syria and, and and shooting people because he believes he's saving little kids it's like why why is that our job yeah. Um, I'm not opposed to war at all. Like, I, I think, you know, if another nine 11 happened, we, we got to go handle business for sure. But I don't, I don't think that Syria is a threat to us. I think it, it initially started out because Assad was, you know, during the Arab spring was, was suppressing protesters and, and people who were trying to fight again for their basic human rights. And, uh, re- he, you know, he's killing, he's killing protesters. And uh, executing people and, and just it, it's egregious and it's shitty. But, you know, as much as people want to shit on the U.N., I think that's kind of a job for the U.N. to kind of step in and, and, cool. and, sure. and take action. Granted, not a whole lot's going to happen, but I don't think it's our job as the sole player. And now that Russia's involved, there's a whole and I, I know why mm-hmm. Russia's involved. Russia, for all intents and purposes, in, in my opinion, based on my observations, uh, is learning from our lessons in Iraq. They're like, OK. Yeah. Fucking Uncle Sam ousted a dictator and created a power vacuum and got mired in a fucking conflict for 15 fucking years and had no way to get out and left the country almost worse off than it was before they ousted the, the dictator. Now it's rife with civil war and, and strife and all kinds of shit that you don't see about in the news. Uh, how about we just keep Assad in power? And even though he's a dickhead, uh, why don't we just let him run shit the way he wants to run shit? And like, hopefully shit won't get worse. Same thing with Libya, you know. Saddam yeah. still would have been rocking it, like. Yeah, yeah, and Saddam was an asshole, sure, man. I, but you know, nobody, nobody fucked with him. Uh, he he kept that region moderately stable, at least stable as an authoritarian regime could do. Same thing with Gaddafi, man. Uh, Libya is a failed state now because Gaddafi's dead. And 
I, you know, I'm not one for authoritarian regimes, but at the same time, like we could, I think that's a huge problem. And I, I, I talked about this during a presentation I gave at school is I think we have a tendency to view the Middle East through the, the, the lens of like Western civilization. I think we try to ascribe our values and our culture to theirs and think like, oh, you know what would be good for them? Democracy. Well, you know what? Guess what? Sometimes democracy doesn't fucking work for some people. Like some people but, need that, that iron fist to smash them into, into compliance because there's, there's tribal uh, grudges and there's, there's religious zealotry and there's shit over there going on that divides people that isn't just borders like it is with us or, or color of skin like it is with us. It's, it's shit that we don't have any – like we can barely wrap our heads around. Yeah. You know? And I could yeah, get into like colonial <laughs> PhDs. About Do what? People have master's degrees and PhDs about this shit. Oh yeah, yeah, man. It goes back to shit like colonialism and imperialism. Like Iraq, like was carved up, and the whole Middle East was carved up on like arbitrary lines. They didn't. Nobody thought like, oh, maybe these people don't get along with each other. Maybe these people have natural borders that they they maintain for whatever reason. No, nope. yeah. they're just like, this is a new country now. We're going to make it, this a new country. It's, it's a thing now. <laughs> it's very much like when, you know, uh, the anti-gun crowd starts uh, starts talking about, oh, Australia. Oh. Well, we're not Australia. Sure. And that gets into, dude, the whole they, anti-gun thing drives me fucking Oh, we can't. Nuts. Yeah, we can't go rabbit hole. No, well, well let me let me tiptoe around it then. But like, I, I, I see, I see, uh, I see, I see validity on both sides, right? Like, I do yeah. think. I, and, dude, I, I, I get shit from my veteran friends because I, I equivocate the two, but I think it's ridiculous that you have to go through a year-long training course and be licensed to drive a vehicle to get from A to B, which kills more people than guns every year. Uh, but a vehicle is a vehicle. And then you get guns, which the sole intent is to kill, to kill another human being, whether you're yeah. a collector, whether you're, you're just a sportsman, whatever. It's kill another human being. That's the reason they were invented. That's the reason they exist is to end lives. Um, I think it's ridiculous that there's not the same amount of accountability for that. And a good buddy of mine, a very good buddy of mine said, because owning a firearm is a right and driving is a privilege. And I just kind of thought like, well, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, I'm very much like I, I study constitutional law. I love it. It's one of my favorite areas of law, but I think it's a state's issue. Um, what works in Detroit as far as gun laws, isn't going to work in Austin, Texas, you know? Um, and I think that, that that's where, what the federal government needs to apply the, the federalism principle is that – and they have been for, for as long as the Second Amendment has been a thing. The Supreme Court has always said, you know what? We're just going to leave it up to the states to figure out what they want to fucking do. Um, and if you don't like the gun laws in your state, move. You know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that, that goes back to you – know, I live in Missouri where it's a uh, constitutional carry state, um, which is fine. But I'm also of the mind that I wonder how many – and I don't say this from like an elitist point of view – but I wonder how many people who I, I again I, I believe if you carry a gun, you're either an asset or a liability to the people around you. Um, I, I contend that a lot of people who carry firearms in public, concealed, are probably liabilities. And I'm not saying that I'm some fucking like uh, Mike Pannone badass fucking pistol ninja. However, I think that a lot of people go to these NRA uh, training programs, these eight-hour courses. They shoot a paper target from three feet away. They score really well, and they think, all right, I'm good. They put the gun in their purse or in their pocket, and they carry it for the next eight years and don't touch it again. I think that's a problem. Um, I, I, I do. And that, that, that opinion, especially in the veteran community, is not popular. No, it's but, not. But I, I, I know I don't, what you mean. I, I don't care. I, I, it's not an absolutist thing. So it's, it's, it's interesting you say all that about being pop, against popular opinion. 
with the guns because uh, being now, yeah, like we mentioned, the fire service, I'm, I live up in the North Texas area. So, mm. not, yeah, so it's obviously conservative state. I'm near Dallas and Fort Worth, so it's a conservative area that much more. And then I'm in the fire service, so it's like the three, like three-layer pie or cake or whatever you want to call it, you know. Sure. So I go there, and I grew up in the Austin area, so a little more liberal than I like to admit. But <laughs> I, 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 I say things, I say things, and they're all like, oh, you Austin weirdo, blah, blah. And then I say something to liberal friends, and they're like, oh, you white conservative dude or whatever, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, sure. there's nothing wrong with being in the middle. But like you said, yeah, okay, it's a right, own a gun, so be it. But there is a thing called accountability and education. And when you have these yeah. guys just going around carrying AKs or ARs, whatever, on the back, it looks like a, they look like a freaking idiot. And it drives sure. me nuts because it's like, we, us three, we've been in a country where people are allowed to carry assault rifles around and not think anything of it. And we see what that country is like. And it's like, if you really think that that's where America is headed or that, that that's the necessary thing to do is carry an AK on the back, then that's where America is going to be headed with people going around the streets ready for like a civil war. And it's like, that's not the case at all. And, or at least that's not the case that I want to see. And when you let people just open carry like that with assault rifles, it just looks stupid. And like you said, they're a liability. And, and I, I say they're probably more of a liability than an asset. Sure. Yeah. And I think that makes everybody who's pro-gun uh, look like idiots. Yes. It makes you look like an idiot. And the thing is, is most people who are law-abiding citizens, law-abiding citizens, gun owners, they know what they're doing. Yeah. But there are those idiots. And so it's like... Oh, like the guy at like a Home Depot who shot a fleeing shoplifter? That oh, was, Jesus. That one was pretty good. That was like three years ago, I think. Uh, but, like, but you are going to give me on my, my little rant real quick. So give me a second. Because this sure. one gets people... Going and, and you've got me all pumped up right now, being against popular opinion. So, what? yes, yes, you got me pumped up. So, I, I'm we're gonna, our followers are gonna drop by like 50 tomorrow. No, no, That's not right. at all. <laughs> but so, we're, we're <laughs> talking about left and right, and we're talking about you being in the university kind of bringing you towards the center. And I really think most people are there in the center and can kind of see most bo- both sides. Yeah. Yet, whenever some crazy topic gets thrown up on social media. They want to pick a side and feel like they're part of something, share the idea. Yeah. Okay, whatever. And so one of the things that we were talking about earlier is the VA. Well, me, I'm on disability, and I got hurt while being downrange and everything. And so I'm combat wounded and all that stuff, and people think it's amazing, Purple Heart, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, well, I get paid X amount of dollars every month. And I'm like, is that not – and I ask the guys at my, at my job when they start complaining about people on social – security and living off the system and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, is that really that bad? And they're like, well, yeah, they're just living off. I'm like, what about the people who are like generally hurt? Well, yeah, they, then they probably deserve it. And I'm like, what about the veterans? And they're like, oh, of course they get it. I'm like, well, you know, you can just apply for disability and pretty much get some kind of money. And they're like, oh, well, then they shouldn't get it. I'm like, well, then how are you going to differentiate between these people? And I'm like, I get paid disability every month. I'm like, am I some guy just feeding off the system? I'm like, well, no, you got hurt serving your country and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but it, it doesn't really matter the fact of the, the individual who does it because they're either going to use it or they're not. And it's the system itself sure. that yeah. needs to be more regulated. Yeah. And I'm like, it, 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 it's in place for a reason. People who get hurt, veteran or civilian, deserve to have at least some kind of coverage. Sure. And I'm like, but then there's just going to be those low lives who go through the cracks. And that's just well, going to be part of it. And you've got to kind of accept it or fix the system itself and then that's where you weed the people out it's I'm not also, the individuals 
I'm also a big fan of the the school of thought that supports the idea that if you give someone something for free, then they don't appreciate it and they don't work for it, right? So exactly. like, <clears throat> um, you know, and that that kind of goes with the whole Sebastian Younger theory about rewarding or you know just uh, just throwing pity parties for for veterans. But like, you know, back in the day, what did they do? Like, they threw a big party when dudes came home from war or yeah, they, sure. they did shit like that. Right. And then like somewhere, somewhere around Vietnam, like uh, obviously that was way different, but like somewhere around Vietnam, that whole culture got lost, um, yeah. you know, throwing parades and, uh, and celebrating guys coming home and like, you know, continuing and obviously cultures changing with, you know, with female personnel and combat arms and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of different stuff going on than, uh, than was back in the day. But I mean, the the culture as a whole has changed too, um, yes. in terms of homecoming and stuff like that. Sure, and I, you know what, man? I, I I think I wrote this in the last piece that I wrote, the small victories post that I wrote for RSF. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that like we didn't have ticker tape parades when we came home, like we weren't like the returning heroes or whatever, like it was in World War II. And I contend that even if we were, even if we did have parades and shit, uh, a vast majority of the veterans wouldn't show up. No, because yeah. I, I think that per- participation as a whole. And this is there's all kinds of studies that have been done on this. Participation as a whole, as veterans interacting with each other, like face to face, is down. Um, VFWs, AMVETs, American Legions, all that stuff is is uh, is down as far as participation goes. And I can I can speak to this on an anecdotal level. I try to get involved in student veterans at, uh, associations at the schools that I went to, be it the community college that I went to or the university that I'm attending now, and it, it's. First of all, you don't get a whole lot of guys that show up, and a lot of veterans, excuse me, that show up. And the ones that you get show up, all they want to do is turn into a fucking dick measuring contest. Yeah. And it, it, it immediately turns into, like, you're sitting around talking. I started going to, uh, before I got into uh, counseling and stuff, I, I was going to, um, I wouldn't call it a support group, but like a veterans group where we all could, we could all sit around and talk about shit that's bothering us. And immediately it started turning into, like, fucking, oh, what'd you do? Oh, so you only did like a you only did one deployment, or you only did deployment here, or you only did deployment there, or what have you? And it turned into like again, dick measuring contest. Like, why are you here bitching? You spent your entire time at Kandahar. Why are you fucking bitching? You were at fucking Al Assad Air Base for six months. Like, yeah. just it turned into this like, and I just remember getting up, and walking the fuck out, and being like, "Fuck all you! I hope you die in fires." Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just I I, I couldn't I, I I couldn't believe where where it was turning. And I ugh. another not unpopular opinion since this is the evening for such nonsense is yeah that let's keep it going I, I think that i don't think okay so i hear the pogue grunt arguing a lot yeah yeah cool i get it however um i, I was dating a girl once and her and i had a class in community college together and she was uh she was in the army and she had served on saddam hussein's protective detail when they were taking him back and forth from prison to court uh in baghdad which is kind of cool right um so her and i are in, in class together and we had this air force kid maybe it was i don't know he was an Air Force kid, and he had just got back from deployment. And he was talking about how he just got back from deployment. He wasn't, like, beating his chest or whatever. But she turns around and looks at him, and she's like, oh, so you didn't do shit, huh? And I'm like, I turn around to her, and I said, you mean you? I, I looked at her, I was like, you mean you didn't do shit? Um, because, again, it was, like, this, this three-tiered thing. Like, he probably sat at the MWR and played Xbox. And she sat at an MWR and played Xbox and escorted Saddam Hussein and I fucking spent 74 days fighting for my fucking life. Um, so, but I don't throw that in her face. And I, I just, she like got shitty with me. And I remember telling her, 
deployments are relative. Like difficulty is relative. And like, regardless yeah. of like whether you're getting shot at every day or w- regardless of whether you're sitting on an, on an MWR and playing Xbox all fucking day, you're missing birthdays, anniversaries, your wife's out fucking banging the mailman. Um, you're missing the deaths of your parents. You're missing, you're missing life. Life is going on without you. And that fucking sucks no matter what job you have. Yeah, um, for sure. And you're away from home. So like at the base level, when somebody says, you know, I was on deployment. I try to look at it like that. I try to go, okay, their deployment sucked in that they were away from home. They had to do the FaceTime thing. They had to communicate. Like, being away from home sucks. Um, it's, it's when you get the Pogues who played Xbox and the MWR all the time running around telling everybody how fucking they deserve these discounts because they fought for our freedoms. You know what I mean? That's, that's when I start to be like, all right, pump the brakes, Turbo. Let's relax a little bit. Um, let's well, it's talk- funny, too, because, like, it's i mean it's a numbers game right i mean the military as a whole is a numbers game but like deployments very much are a numbers game you know your experience it's all it's fate it's timing um you know you could you could enlist one day before or after and have the your whole career completely shifted um, oh yeah you know my my company i was an mp so fucking fight me but uh <laughs> like my company deployed to Bakuba before I got to them uh, in to like 2006, 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, I enlisted in 2008. So I, I got to the unit after they got back. They had a rough go. They lost uh, four and, um, and then got extended. And it was like in the extension that they lost like three of the four. So, you know, Bakuba for them was a shit show. And like, I deployed in 2009 to Baghdad and like my Iraq was not theirs um, by any means. And, you know, I attribute that to, it's a numbers game. If I, if I had enlisted like a year prior to that, then maybe I would have gone with them or maybe I would have gone to a completely different unit. But like, it's, I mean, it's all fate. Like your name gets put into a computer and a system tells you like, okay, there's X amount of spots here and that's where you're going. You know, it's not, it's you, you know it's not the the best the best and brightest go to this fight it's you know x amount of bodies needed for this unit you know that's where where selections and you know training and, and assessments and all that stuff come in <clears throat> yeah no and uh <clears throat> that, that goes with mine my deployment was short and people were, were there far longer i was actually talking to this guy once and he, he was in the military only for a couple months got hurt and got med boarded out and I could tell it like completely tore him apart. And I was like, dude, it's not that big of a deal. You, you may not have done a whole, whole lot, but you still are willing to enlist and serve and go fight. Yes. You got hurt and yes, you got kicked out and everything. And that's sure. that. But, but whenever you, whenever you sign up and you enlist, you at least did something and somebody who went and fought for 15 months and fought every single day, they're still not going to feel like they did enough anyways. So sure. whether you did very, very little or freaking shit ton, that individual is still going to feel like they did less than what they really did. Yet the people who actually did a lot are going to feel less and the people who did very, very little, they're going to go and try to compensate. Kinda compensate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. That's just my little take on it. Is no, yeah, it's well, regardless of kind of what the individual actually did, it, it, you're, inside a veteran themselves, they're going to still feel like they, they didn't do enough because they saw one of their brothers die. They saw 
or they killed some little kid or they did whatever like they had to do to survive or whatever. Now they're going to have to live with that for the rest of their life. And it's shitty, but it is what it is kind of thing. And the people who live with it can deal with it better and you move on. And it goes back to the point of don't sit there and live and gloat in the past. Sure. Once you get out, you make the easy transition or not the easy, you make a transition <laughs> and, you, and then you, you just try to serve because, Hey, we all got to fight. Oh yeah. In one, in one battle or another, you know, whether that's war in Afghanistan and Iraq or they're in St. Louis, Missouri, trying yeah. to go, go to law school, you know, for sure, man, for sure. And I, I, I totally agree with that. And you brought up a good point about people overcompensating. Um, I, I am sick to death of PTSD being wielded as a, almost as a bragging right, right? Um, yes, big brush. I, I had a big, okay, so a couple years ago on OAF, we had, we had published a, a, a picture of a dude. It was back during the 4th of July. It was probably our highest like, engagement on social media was during this period. It's, at the time, we posted a picture of a dude who was wearing a shirt that says, I'm okay with violence or I'm comfortable with violence or some shit. Had the beard, had the multicam hat. And it's pointing to a, uh, a sign on his door that says, "U.S. Or veteran lives here, military veteran lives here, please be courteous with fireworks. Mm. And I, 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 yeah. No, and, yes, and I, I've yeah. seen it. I've so, seen yeah. it. Yeah, and I just remember thinking like, <clears throat> oh, fuck. And this is when, oh, we got, we got accused of vet shaming and all kinds of shit. And, you know, I had, this, I had this woman get on and she had messaged us and she had talked about how her son had done a tour or two over in Afghanistan. And he came home and she says, my son, every time there's fireworks, he runs outside with a gun. And I said, okay. So <laughs> what does he do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He runs outside with a gun. So I'm sitting here thinking to myself, schizophrenic like it, or something. It, it, it spawned. Yeah. Well, it spawned a fucking another <laughs> lady. You got to get off the computer and call the police. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, please give me your phone number so that I can inform the authorities that he should not have a fucking gun. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I and she goes, I'm like, uh, I said he should probably not have a gun. I said you should probably talk to the authorities. Blah blah blah. And she's like, well, my son's been dealing with some shit. He uh. He had to kill a man with his bare hands and look him in the eye while he did it. And yes. I'm sitting here thinking, like, that didn't happen. Um, yeah. She's like, he, his base got mortared all the time. He was a mortarman. Uh, he got into a Humvee accident. His best friend died. I'm sitting here thinking, like, sure, that stuff's shitty. Uh, first of all, if I had to kill a man with my bare hands, I'm not going to tell my mother about it. Um, no. That's something no mom should hear, hear from their, their child. One. Two. I'm sorry you have to hear it from a dickhead named Grifter, like an anonymous guy on Facebook, but your son's <laughs> full of shit, man. Um, and I, I, I started told that, but it, it spawned something. <clears throat> like, there are a, there's a cohort of veterans that get out and that didn't really do a whole lot, and, and they, there's pressure on them. And I, I'll give them that. There's pressure on yeah, them. When they get yeah, home, there is. There. When they get home, all their friends are like, oh, so, hey, man, did you kill anybody? What was the weirdest thing you saw over there? Blah, blah, blah. And there's that pressure. You can't be like, oh, I fucking I, – I, I beat Call of Duty on Xbox, so <laughs> bully for me, dude. Um, so you can't do that because there's this, like, expectation, right? Um, so what they do is they, they tell these fucking – I would say at, at, the, at the least they tell embellished stories. At, at the worst, these outlandish fucking – I killed a man with my bare hands and mowed down an entire company of fucking Mujahideen with my or fucking like MRE like spoon. Sense of a mission. Yeah. Right? Somebody yeah. asked, like – what was it like, man? And they just do the thousand yard stare. Yeah. So they tell these they tell these stories, but to add credibility to these stories, they have to act like they've been there and done this crazy shit, right? Yeah. And since they haven't, what do they have to go off of? Hollywood. And what is it like for every dude who's seen some fucked up shit in a war in Hollywood? They're fuck yeah, thousand yard stare, they're bonkers, they're fucking John Stuff. J. Rambo. Velcro. 
Yeah, dude. So these guys start fucking selling it. And so, yeah, to add credibility to their stories, they have to act fucking crazy. And I think that that's insanely damaging. And I think that ties into the whole, like, dysfunctional veteran mentality where you get these guys wearing T-shirts. Like, I'm a dysfunctional veteran. I forgot my meds today. Stay back 200 feet. Like, (laughs) oh, man, I bet you you make friends wherever you go. Oh, Um, gosh. Like, please tell me how how easy for you it is to get a job. Um, I think that's – it's just not healthy, and it creates this this divide. And Look, I'm not the biggest fan of, like, civilian culture either, like, with this, this, like, me, me, me thing. But I I brought this up, too, is in in, – Robert Heinlein's uh, Starship Troopers, you know, one of the things that, that separates uh, a citizen from a civilian um, is the fact that a citizen knows what it's like and values giving up their individuality for the, the good of the group. And that goes right. back to Sebastian Younger's points too, man, is, is, is you're working for the tribe. Um, and I think that there's, there's an inherent value in that that's lost um, on civilians these days, especially with social media, where it's, it's all about me and it's all about my accomplishments and it's all about what I can do. You know, I see these people on, on Facebook or, or on whatever talking about how, like, man, I woke up this morning and I fucking I, I went to the gym. I took the kids to school and I came I went to work for eight hours a day, picked the kids up, made dinner. How did I do it all? I'm like, you're doing the same thing everybody else is doing, man. Like, uh, Dennis Miller said something about social media that I found kind of profound. He said, never before have lives left li- lives less lived been more chronicled. I tend to think that's right, man. I think people are so um, so involved in, in talking about the things that they do every day and talking about how special and incredible this life that they live is that they don't – that they – it's, it's ridiculous, man. I think – because nobody posts the bad shit on Facebook, right? Nobody posts like – it's very curated. It's, it's, hey, look how fucking awesome my life is. And I, nobody cares because I know that you're sitting there scrolling through Facebook and you see Todd's on fucking vacation. You're like, man, fuck Todd. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care like you're sitting there in your shitty apartment eating ramen noodles and you're like man fuck todd yeah, yeah. then you go then you go out to, to dinner or whatever and you take a picture of your meal and you're like how fucking good do i have it yeah. it's, it's 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 silly to me man it's so silly to me but back to my original point for the tangent like i think a lot of guys are, are embellishing their their war stories and trying to fit their personality to match so you get a lot of the captain america guys the i'm not gonna name any names but you get these professional veterans who like get on there like pedestals and they talk about they, everything is black and white for them everything is yeah is very like right and wrong yes <laughs> right or left <laughs> yeah right or left right or wrong uh these guys who fancy themselves these fucking like viking samurai cowboy whatever the fucking cool thing, spartan like whatever the cool thing is this week like it's they they the sheepdog whatever like they, they you got these captain america men, these, these assholes and then you got these the, the the entitled guys, the Uncle Ricos, you know, who live in the past and are constantly bringing up their fucking. And I'm just like, why can't we just? And I don't <laughs> think everybody should be the same. I don't think the veteran community should ever be this homogenous like monolith. But at the same time, I think that we should stop acting like a bunch of assholes. Yeah. I think at, the, at the end of the day, I think we should just stop acting like a bunch of assholes and acting like we're better than everybody else. Um, we just have a leg up because we know what it's like to put the group before the co- the, the group before the individual. Absolutely, absolutely. And like you were saying before about like varying perspectives, you know, like not everybody has to think like you or me or Tyler, but fuck no, uh, you know, if we can get people to, I hope they don't. No, yeah, no, that's scary. But you know, if we can get them to like broaden their horizons a little bit and you know think like us in that capacity, then then we'll all be a little bit better for it. Like you know, I'm I'm by no mind by no means like liberal or or anything but i see everything is very gray different shades sure. of gray uh, sure black and white doesn't work for 
for the way my mind works. No. And I, I said this in stay savage, man. And it's, it's a point that I kind of reached in, in my academic journey. It's if you could take all of your, your principles and your values and your opinions and, and your beliefs, and you could put them in a little box and you could label that box liberal or conservative, you are fucking weak minded and intellectually lazy. Like you have no substance to you whatsoever. If you could take everything and put it in one of those two boxes and, and everything that you believe can fit in one of those two boxes. I think that's it's highly problematic in that you have people who think, okay, because I believe in X, Y, and Z, that makes me a liberal or conservative. Yeah. But yeah. I think there's also this that, – that eventually turns into this dangerous point of view where it's be, because I am, I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal, I must believe X, Y, and Z. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I think it, that, it, that becomes – it becomes you become an automaton at that point. Right. Exactly. If, if – it's like X equals Y, but sometimes Y doesn't equal X. You know, it's like it, it's it's frustrating at times because you, you said it perfectly about uh, just because you believe whatever doesn't make you exactly into that field. And it, it, every question has layers. It's yeah, and every belief layers. Yep, and layers and layers. Yep. And sometimes your belief doesn't apply. You know, yeah, it, it's. You know, I, uh, I hear it all the time with abortion and gay rights and, you know, everything you're not supposed to talk about at the Thanksgiving dinner table gets brought up by your fucking crazy aunt anyway. Like, it's, it's always very black and white, and it's always, there's always a very set, set standard and set of stipulations that needs to be met in any, any given topic. And anything outside of that is against your beliefs. And I think that's what's yeah. good for the goose isn't always good for the gander, man. Dude, um, I'll, uh, our stats are going to go way up and way fucking down. Like, it's going to look awful yeah you're uh, welcome ben shapiro yeah yeah you know people hate him because yeah. of the things he believes but if you actually sit through you know a couple of his youtube videos like he goes off facts not yeah emotion or anything like he goes off facts sure uh i think he's you a little can't hate sure there, there's there's part of there's, there's things that he believes like i'm i'm not a religious man in, in any way shape or form Right. Um, if you've looked at my Instagram at all and scrolled and really did, done a deep dive, you'll know that I, religion is not my thing. Um, I, so I don't agree with Ben Shapiro on that and his like sense of morality. Yeah. Uh, as far as that goes, I'm more of like a Sam Harris kind of guy. Um, yeah. But I do agree with I, – I love Ben Shapiro. He's fucking brilliant. Like uh, the shit that comes out of his mouth, especially in the, in the postmodernism and, and intersectional like, culture war, I definitely agree with. But um, – yeah, as, as far as Ben Shapiro goes, like when he starts getting into like religion, and like, oh, yeah, no, I um, think that's why he's held up so high in in that that house. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, but yeah, no, you like you can't hate those those videos when when he starts talking about um, you know certain certain topics and he's he's basing it all on facts and he's impartial. Like you know, more people should take that approach. Yeah, well, uh, well like he does it with. with the whole political spectrum of things because that's kind of his 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 niche and everything what we, we've mm. talked about sebastian younger multiple times what what i really appreciate about him is he is kind of an outsider looking in but yeah. he has that yeah. respect to actually be able to say from an objective point of view and that's that's the thing that us right here we're veterans and we can give our opinions all day and we have it, we have it through experience and everything that guy he lived it obviously deploying and being a war journalist but he was able to actually sit there and analyze and kind of take the emotions out of it. While we can get emotionally yeah. riled up because we have certain experiences that we, we sit in every night whenever some little spark gets him going and everything like that. He has that to an extent, but he's able to objectively look at things 
and objectively looking at things is hard to come by nowadays. Oh yeah, yeah. it's it's easy, it's easier to get riled up, and it's easier to it is. doing any kind of independent research about anything is non-existent when you could. I I find it, it it's silly. A, we have the entirety of human knowledge at our fingertips. That's what, that's what I was just about to say. It's at the tip of our fingertips, yet we'd rather just, just slide read. and slide and slide yeah. and slide and tap here, tap there, rather than just reading. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. That's sad. Yeah, so. I think that was I good. We'll, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll start to wrap it up. I feel like we, we all keep going on tangents, and I don't even know what the last actual topic we covered was, but it's uh, Syria. It's Syria was what, Syria was, Syria the, last was the last topic. Yeah. We, we went from Syria to Ben Shapiro. Um, oh, that's still kind of relevant, right? Where uh, Johnny? Where can people find you if uh, if you want them to? Yeah, I still I still uh, I'm on Instagram at yes that grifter. Uh, I don't do the Facebook thing anymore because I just yeah I no. Um, and I'm also writing for Recon Sniper Foundation. I'm the, uh, the uh, managing editor for them right now. I'm trying to bring on uh, new writers, as a matter of fact. So if anybody out there wants to try their hand at writing, get a hold of me on Instagram. We'll get you hooked up on the website and see, uh, see what you got as far as your writing t- chops go. Cool. Awesome, man. Yeah. Any, we really, uh, really appreciate plugs? it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Any, any final plugs before we go? Uh, no, just uh, check out uh, David Rose's book. Uh, spent shell casings and uh, check out uh, Megan Mobs, her website or her uh, Instagram at uh, Mobs Mentality. Uh, she she takes a huge take on the, the whole psychological side of things. Um, we're the Recon Sniper Foundation, David Rose, Megan Mobs. We're all kind of working towards the same. same and you guys obviously are yeah. all kind of working towards the same same goal is trying to get uh, get veterans out of this this rut that they've been in for the last several years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, she's definitely uh, definitely next on the list. Right on. All right. Well, thanks, man. No problem, guys. Take care. <laughs> you, Have a good night. You, you too. Later. Uh, the biggest, I, I think the biggest misperception is that somehow we're damning. Nothing, nothing really can stop us.